welcome to the first episode of AdLib, the York Theatre Royal podcast. My name is Jessie. And I'm Henry. And in our first episode of the series, we chat to the amazing Dave Hearn from Mischief Theatre. We took a trip to London, sat in a freezing cold room and heard some of his great stories. I did GCSE drama and I got an A star. <gasps> wow. Are you ready? It's Saturday night at Broadway. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I guess so. And they're like, how cool is that? We're on Broadway. And it's like, you live here. He's like, I know, right? So raspberries went everywhere. He stood up, panicked, screamed, there isn't time, and ran off. <laughs> Mischief Theatre is known worldwide for the play that goes wrong, Peter Pan goes wrong, and the comedy about a bank robbery. Beyond the West End and Broadway, the company have performed in China, Hungary, Poland, Spain, Greece, Israel, Scandinavia, France, Italy, Iceland, Brazil, Germany, Belgium, the Netherlands, Mexico, Argentina, Uruguay, Turkey, New Zealand, Hong Kong, Singapore, Philippines, South Africa, Slovenia, South Korea and India, to name a few. They've recently announced a year-long residency at the Vaudeville Theatre, beginning with their new show, Grown Ups, in September. In this episode, we talk about how the company got its name, actors' guilt and their exciting move to Broadway. We hope you enjoy.
And then, yeah, at all that time, while I was doing all of that training, we had formed a company at the end of the foundation course. There was about 13 or 14 people. Uh, and we took a show to Edinburgh called Let's See What Happens, which was an improv show, which was an improvised play, which was a lot of fun, but failed quite, uh, quite spectacularly. And um, quite a few people left the company, and a few new people joined. And then every week we'd meet up at Lander and rehearse improv. And then sometimes we'd perform shows in London and go away and come back. And every year we did Edinburgh, so we did like five, six, maybe seven Edinburghs in a row. And you kind of learnt your trade doing that. Were you called Mischief Theatre then? No. So we had a we were called uh, we were called the Scat Pack then. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, obviously, Scat was uh, is is synonymous with both jazz music yeah. and fecal porn. Uh, <laughs> so uh, so we decided to abandon Scat Pack and purely on the basis that it happened a couple of times when people would introduce us, they'd be like. They'd make a comment or they'd say something, and I never liked the name to be honest. Um, but it wasn't until I got a pair of, I used to get the our colours used to be yellow and black, mm. and I used to go on Nike ID and design my own trainers for the show. And uh, one year I decided to get a new pair of trainers and design them yellow and black, and you can write uh, like a name on it or something like that. And so across the, like, there's an event crow tab that kind of went across the front, and it would read from left to right scat on one shoe, black on the other. And uh, the time came and I, I brought that to the group and I said, Nike will not make my shoes because it has, you can't write like fuck or shit or whatever on the shoe. So scat was included in profane language. So did you know when you pitched the name, was it like a glass shatter moment? No, I knew, uh, but a couple of the boys had decided um, based on the improv thing of of jazz, and then I was like, sure, because he's also <laughs> shit porn. And um, it was decided that uh, that most people would would not make that link, or if they did, you know, who cares? Turns out most people did make the link, and most people did care, um, and so we changed it. And then it, we kind of came up with the with the new name. Where did that come from? The name just kind of brainstorming, or so um, the Henry and Jono. Um, who were the writers and uh, directors of Mischief um, had written a show uh, based on uh, kind of ex- uh, kind of extreme clowning called Bouffant, which I don't know if you guys know about, um, but it's quite a grotesque art form and it's uh, very satirical. Uh, and they wrote this show called The Buffoons, which went to Edinburgh with themselves and two other people, and I helped with bits of it. Um, and it was billed as the most offensive show in Edinburgh by, by about the first week. And so, of course, it, it sold out. And then um, it was good. The first half was really good. The second half wasn't so good. But it was a really good show. And we came up with this sketch group called The Despicables. And we thought that was quite a good title for a kind of group of people. And we sat around this a friend of ours' house at his table. Um, decided we were going to change the name and I said I really like the Despicables. Then we looked up what Despicable actually meant and it is just like horrid, vile, nasty. And we're like, we're not horrid and vile and nasty, it just is a cool name. And so we looked up, we literally got a thesaurus out and looked up different different words for Despicable and one of them was mischievous. And uh, there was a few different names floating about but mischief kind of stuck mm-hmm. and everyone, it was, the one, it was the path of least resistance I think. And then it's kind of stuck, and now it works for stuff making mischief, and actually in terms of marketing, it's, yeah, it's really helpful. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So I know we've already talked a little bit about this downstairs before mm. we started, but how did then sort of mischief become what it is now? I suppose. Well, I'll give you the, the potted version <laughs> of the story. Um, so we did the we did the many years at Edinburgh, uh, did our improv show, and kind of had varying success and failure with that. And in London, we did like a mini tour and stuff. Um, and then we decided to do branch out into scripted theatre uh, and the boys were at this play called The Play That Goes Wrong um, and we wanted to put it on at Christmas because we thought that was when we'd make the most money. So actually the kind of romance of the story is driven by <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, and we did the show that we really liked and we took some time off work and we rehearsed it and 
it kind of built from there and producers came to see the show and, and said that they would take it on tour and then when it did well on tour it got transferred to the West End and it kind of, then it, that gave us a platform for us all to quit our jobs and kind of write plays and develop stuff and now I kind of spend my days I'm a real lady of leisure these days or I am in a workshop with my friends writing jokes um, and so yeah I think it's really sweet and it's actually really kind when people say things like oh you know you guys have come out of nowhere and it's this big new company that's kind of taking over the West End and some people have said you know we're the future of comedy and all that kind of stuff and it's it's really nice to hear but actually the company's been around for, it's into its 10th year now wow. um, and the play that goes wrong was only what four or five years ago yeah. and even before then it was still a year you know in the making even before then and then we still had five years even before that when we were up at Edinburgh losing money never paying ourselves for all intents and purposes kind of doing it for the love of it and all the money that we made always went straight back into the company apart from if you reimbursed yourself things but yeah yeah, it was all about kind of working for each other and doing this thing that we loved and I think um, yeah that was kind of the, the basis of it but the shift into doing script and stuff yeah. from, from improvised stuff was the was the kind of the main transition. I suppose it can be quite to go through that experience as a team, I suppose that must be sort of imagine you'd be a really close knit group and mm. would it be diff- is it difficult for you working if you were offered a part in another play, would you feel sort of guilty almost if like That's a good question, yeah. I think um, yeah, it's something we've talked about a lot recently actually. We've kind of been having a more sort of philosophical discussion or, or metaphysical, I don't know what the, what the <laughs> yeah. correct word is, about what it is to be in mischief. And I think um, it means different things to different people, uh, and that's kind of one of the things we figured out. I think there's this weird feeling that I have personally to to seek validation by be, being given a job outside of mischief, yeah. and that's purely mm-hmm. selfish, I think. And I think a few other actors in the company maybe feel the same thing. I think probably what would realistically happen. So I'll give you the version of what I think will happen in my head and the version of probably what will really happen. In my head, I go for uh, a job in a, in a show. And I'm very excited about it because I get to play this great part with this great director, yeah. with a bunch of actors who I've never met before who I'm sure are all brilliant. And it's a great play. And it's on, I don't know, at the Duke of York or whatever. And it runs for three months and everybody loves it. And all these reviews come out, and I'm amazing, and everyone thinks I'm amazing, and I'm a great actor, and I go, oh, phew, I'm a good actor, that's, that's wonderful. But I think probably what would actually happen is, if I got this fantastic job, I'd probably get in the room and enjoy it, uh, but I think I'd go, oh, I don't have as much creative input as I'm used to mm-hmm. working with mischief. I don't get to rewrite bits with my friends. I don't get to have an idea and go, should we try this? And I, I guess it kind of depends on what the director thinks or, or the way in which yeah. they work. Um, but yeah, I suppose, would I feel guilty? Yeah, I think I probably would. Um, but I don't, I don't know for sure. Yeah, and it's quite interesting, like, as a company you've grown together, having an identity outside that as an artist on your own is quite, mm. yeah, it's quite interesting. It's a weird one. And I think, um, I was listening to a podcast earlier, uh, Stephen Fry, and he made a really good point where, um, and me and my girlfriend talk about it all the time, where you you feel guilty for not appreciating stuff now. Yeah. Mm. So I'm fully aware uh, of what I was explaining to you guys earlier. You know, I used to work 20-hour days, be up at 5 a.m. doing breakfast shifts and then doing unpaid shows in the evening until sort of midnight and then you get up and start it all over again. And so there's this thing of kind of going, that's when I, you know, really worked for my art and yeah. I really cared about it and now I um, you know at most do a 10 to 4 rehearsal get paid way more than I ever would have done doing those 20 hour days I get looked after I get physio treatment when I get injured and I get looked after when I'm in shows and when I'm out of shows and I get to write new shows with my friends and do all these amazing things um, but you're right if, if it comes up you know I get offered a part in one of our new shows and let's say I don't want to do it or let's say I'm offered something else at the national or you know in a film or I'm not offered anything else I just don't want to do it yeah you feel then the pressure from all the other actors who aren't doing anything 
to be like, well, who the fuck are you to turn it down? Who, who, who are you to say you don't want to do it? So there's this kind of pressure once you do get a bit of success, I think anyway, to, to be grateful for what you have. Yeah. Um, and actually, I don't know if that exists in other professions outside of the arts. Well, when you said about you being looked after if you get injured, it's the same for football players. They get, they're get they overpaid for maybe not enough work. So yeah. why? Yeah, I think a lot of feeling guilty is... Yeah, it's not uncommon in sort of high-pressure job when you're in the spotlight I suppose it's kind of the dream job for a lot of people yeah and I think in terms of actually being on stage and stuff like that like the pressure I don't feel so much pressure then because I always I always know that we leave the rehearsal room knowing that we're proud of what we've made and if we're not proud of what we've made we can change it yeah. for anyone who doesn't know what's a mischief show like in a um, show fast yeah. furious funny um, yeah it's quick it's loud uh, it's there are just jokes every ten seconds or so. Uh, it doesn't really let up, um, and I think the base of our show has always been in some fashion some kind of emotional core, mm-hmm. and sometimes we don't achieve that. So the play that goes wrong, for example, we try and put like an emotional narrative in it, but it is just a joke factory. Um, <laughs> but it, it it's underpinned by this emotional narrative of these characters desperately trying to put on a play and failing, yeah. and you're allowed to laugh at them. So I think a mischief show, in, in, in essence, is a, is a really good opportunity to, to laugh. And I think the thing that we've found is as there's more turmoil in the country, and in the world, in fact, people come to watch our shows even more. Um, you know, those kind of things actually create an environment where people are desperate to just share a room with people that have different opinions to them, but they're kind of united under this common banner of, of humour and comedy. And I think that's quite a rare thing that other forms don't necessarily quite achieve. Yeah, I suppose way. you're not trying to change someone's opinion or just look at something from a different perspective. No. You're just, we're going to have fun, and that's, that's okay, and that's quite nice. Yeah, and you can have somebody in, in the room who is, you know, a Brexiteer and someone who's a staunch Remainer. Yeah. You can have somebody who's a Tory, Labour, whatever, mm-hmm. um, but they don't talk about that, mm-hmm. and they don't argue about that, and they sit next to each other and they laugh at the same jokes. And they don't know each other and they talk about how funny they find it. They talk about who their favourite characters are. They talk about their favourite jokes in the show. They do impressions of the characters on stage. And they, they share an experience together. And the, thing, the most common feedback we get for most of the shows is, oh, you know, I went with my, my six-year-old kid and my 85-year-old mum. And they sat next to each other and they laughed at the same things. And so it's finding... A unique kind of niche within something that is quite broad mm-hmm. that appeals to a lot of people. Speaking about audiences, you transferred to Broadway. Did you find it different working in America? Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's very strange. <laughs> um, so we kind of heard all these mad stories about what you can and can't do when you go out there, oh. and all of them are true. Um, and so they have this amazing, amazing everything's so expensive like tickets are like $200 a ticket or whatever. Wow. And, um, like, a ticket to Hamilton is just outrageous. But you kind of have this team of people, and everybody has a job. Um, everybody knows where everybody is all the time. And as an actor, you're looked after a lot. So if you get a cold or whatever, they send you to see someone. If you get injured, they bring in someone to treat you. You get paid a lot, but also you're expected to work hard and to you know do the job correctly. So everybody is accountable for any kind of error all the way down from, from the top to the bottom. And they have procedure. There are things that you can do and things that you can't do. So one of the weirdest things is that actors can't move props unless you move it in the show. Oh. So um, you can't move furniture, you can't move props. Stage management have to come in and do that. And the argument is one, it, it's, it's just a, an extreme version of of a job um, but the main thing is is that you can't be seen to take a job away from somebody you no matter how big or small it is um, so if actors could just do everything why not just employ a load of actors that can just do everything and not worry about stage management or getting qualified people in so it makes a lot of sense it just means your shows are very expensive but you could argue that they're kind of worth yeah. the cost once you see the result of it but yeah, it's fabulous working on Broadway. It's great. It's a real ego boost. <laughs> there's, a, there's a story I love about how you actually got picked up to move to Broadway involving a certain Star Wars director. Mm, yeah. 
So, um, so yeah, JJ was in um, London uh, filming, I want to say like the first of like the new ones. Yeah. yeah. And um, he had a night off and he was in Hyde Park and he thought he'd go and see some London theatre. And he googled plays to see in London um, and the play that goes wrong came up at the top. So well done to our marketing team. <laughs> um, and uh, he went, oh, that looks fun. I went, bought a ticket, came to see it. But a kind of word spread that he was in. This guy's in. And I had no idea who he was. A couple of people in the, in the cast seemed lost and stuff like yeah. that. And Mark Bentley, one of our producers, uh, he, he saw them everywhere all the time. <laughs> and he arrived at the theatre and he said, this man's in and he wants to come and see us after the show. Um, and I, I walked into downstairs into one of the dressing rooms and just saw this fairly unassuming bloke in the room, in an American guy, just saying how much he loved the show, but he couldn't stick around, he had to go. Uh, and then he left and that was kind of it. And we didn't hear any, any more of it. And there was kind of rumbles of it transferring for, for months, if not years. And we had an American producer came over. But to take a player is serious money, like yeah. it's crazy. And, you know, to have him back here meant so much because it, it meant that he was taking a, well, I don't know how brave a step it was, I never asked him, but he, in my view, was taking quite a big step into, it's his first theater show that he's ever produced yeah. or had anything to do with. Um, and he put some, well, presumably put some money in or he put his name behind it. Uh, and that was kind of the, the push over the edge that we needed to, to get it across the pond. Um, and then, you know, a few months down the line, we had a theatre, suddenly we had a set, we had people asking us what kind of accommodation we wanted and suddenly contracts were coming through and we were just like, wow, this is gonna be a Yeah, it's a huge step. Like West End is one thing when you've like, it's kind of a dream and then I imagine mm. Suddenly, Broadway's because it's so much further and it's so yeah. renowned, isn't it? Well, it's a different thing, and the thing is, is for them, it's not. I think the West End. I don't know if this is true of the West End or, or London or mm. England, but they're very. We're very cynical, and um, we kind of just do shows, and it's really fun, and sometimes it's a bit of an arsehole to do them. But in Broadway, the effect hasn't worn off for them. Mm. They fucking love it. They like from. Wardrobe and dresses and techies, all the way up to like producers and people who work on the box office and everything. You walk past people in the theatre and they're just like, "Man, you are so fucking funny. This is an amazing show." And they're just like, "You are you ready? It's Saturday night on Broadway." And you're like, "Yeah, yeah, I guess so." And they're like, "How cool is that? We're on Broadway." And it's like, "You live here." And it's like, "I know, right?" And they they're just really infectious and they're really excited and they're they're really excited for you to be there and they're really excited about the show. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing feeling, and you go out, and we, we had a 900-seater, I think, and so when that's full of very loud, very rowdy Americans, and they shout stuff out, they're not yeah, afraid to... Yeah, I heard that. Mm, yeah. They really get engaged, and they, they, they're so much more responsive, I think, because for them, theatre is, is an event that you've chosen to go to, and you're, you, the, the main way I would describe it is that if a show gets reviewed really well in this country... You go, I've heard it's really good, it better be good. Yeah. And we sit down, we wait, we watch and we judge. In America, they go, I've heard this show's good, it's going to be amazing. And so they're already in a complete different mindset before they've gone through the door. Somebody told me this is great, I can't wait, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. And then they leave going, that was amazing. As where we sit in a more cynical position and we have to be brought round to it being amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think we, you know, hopefully if the play that goes wrong, we do get people bank robbery as well as you know is um is going on tour to york in fact it is, yeah. um and uh that you know that brings people around as well so did you ever have to adapt anything like because obviously you've, you've taken not yourself but the, the play that goes wrong has gone all over the world have you ever had to tweak things like for different cultures and yeah. translations and so um a, a very good friend of mine michael Bodie, uh he's a founding member of mischief he also speaks german uh, and he helped with the german translation for it so there's a, a bit in play where a guy comes in and screams, not so fast, Inspector. But there's no such phrase yeah. in German. So he sort of tried to figure out what that would be. And so some of those kind of things yeah. have, have changed. 
Um, and then some, some producers and some people think, you know, you want to change certain jokes uh, for certain things. Um, one of the biggest things we weirdly had to change in America was at the end, I don't know if you remember it, the thing gets, the lines get stuck in a loop. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. And then just before the end, she reads, she goes, um, da, 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 blackout interval, yeah. and then blackout interval. Um, but we had to change the word interval to intermission. Because oh, yeah. oh, the audience didn't know what interval was. But the problem was, was we found the word intermission is too long for the rhythm of the joke. So it's like blackout, intermission. Yeah. And so it kind of affected the joke slightly, but it was kind of the same thing. It still worked. But yeah, the, the small changes like that, nothing nothing massive. So you've worked on at the end of Fringe, and mm-hmm. on the West End and Broadway, and you've also worked in TV. So yes. How, how was that? Weird. Yeah. Really weird. So coming from a kind of predominantly theatre background, and while I love Rose Bruford a lot, um, when I went there, the TV training was good, but not extensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it set, set us up for different skills, I think. And I think any kind of TV training you get at school, unless you go to like a specifically film or camera-based yeah. school, there's so much stuff to learn. There's so much etiquette, and there's so much, and there's so many different things from a studio comedy to a single camera to a multi-camera to a big Hollywood film to, uh, to like stuff on location. There's crazy amounts of different stuff you need to learn. And it's a complete brain fuck because you're just constantly worried about what your face is doing. And so I think going to perform a comedy for TV was one of the strangest experiences, especially when we did Peter Pan Goes Wrong, because we knew the show so well. Um, and we condensed it into an hour, so it's a two-hour show including the interval, so we'd cut, you know, 40 minutes off it, which is a weird experience. But then you're performing huge amounts of it pre-recorded, so not in front of a live audience. So you're kind of, you know, trusting that the laughs will be there. So much of our show is engaged with, with our audience, and we know now through experience and through trying different things, sometimes it's better to whip an audience up and get them into a hysteria and then slow them down. Sometimes it's sometimes audiences come in really excited and we're actually slowing the show down on purpose so they don't tire themselves out. But when you have no audience, you, you have no barometer for how well the joke is landing. And we were fortunate enough that we'd done the stage show so we kind of knew where the jokes would be anyway. And also they can edit it after and afterwards. You know, is that magic. more tricky when you did Christmas Carol goes on because there is no audience, at least there wasn't an audience visible. Yeah, Christmas Carol was a tough one because it wasn't quite what we wanted and there was some compromise we made with the channel and stuff and we actually tried a different thing which didn't really work. There was there was a, a live audience for, for some of it. But I see what you I know what you mean with, with play you kind of got uh, sorry with Pan you kinda of got the feeling that you were watching the entire live yeah. performance yeah. in front of the studio. Yeah audience. when you said that it wasn't all live, yeah, which bits weren't live? So um a lot of it was, was pre-recorded, so all the stuff on the rooftops is all pre-recorded. Um, uh, the, I think the, the main live bit is from the very top all the way up to, you know, where the costumes get ripped yeah. off. Yeah. That's kind of one of the only bits that's really truly wholly live. Um, and then obviously things like the revolve at the end yeah. has to be pre-recorded just because of, it takes like an hour to reset it and stuff and do it all safely. Um, but yeah, all the shadow dance and all the fire and all that quick changes and stuff, all of that was live. Um, and they had to find cuts here and there. But yeah, they use, they do record the actual audience and use the audience laughter, but they sometimes put them in different places and stuff if they, if they want things to work. But yeah, you're kind of trying to do a show that you know how it works. And I remember, for us, the, that, that nursery scene is about 20 minutes long. And I think it's about 28 pages or something in a TV script. And the director is a brilliant bloke. Um, was just like I can't believe we're going to do this. We're going to do it all without stopping. And the camera guys and the sound guys were like, "This is insane." We were like, "Oh, this is just sort of what we do. This is the well, easy bit." Theater, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of the easy bit for us. Um, and so we'd worked on all this stuff. We'd camera rehearsed it. We plotted it. We'd run. We and then we got out. We got in front of an audience and um, we started performing it. And we started getting feedback from the audience, which we hadn't had a week because of all the pre-records. And the director came in the next day and was just like, okay guys, well done. Um, we're going to do the nursery again tonight. Um, I just want to ask what the fuck happened. And we were like, what? And he was just like, you guys just found like some weird extra gear that I didn't know about. 
and you went so fast. And we were like, oh, really? Maybe we were just nervous. And he was like, no, 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 it wasn't that. And we were like, oh, that was probably like the show pace because we're, you don't want to ever let a laugh die. You always kind of want to ride the crest of it and then come in with the next joke. And that's kind of what we were doing. And he was just like, yeah, that's no good to me because my cameras can't keep up and I can't edit around that. Like, it's too fast. So we're going to do it again. And then we did it again. So we ended up doing it like three or four times in front of an audience because he wanted to get it right. And then by the end of it, you're kind of, because you're mic'd up, but you're kind of talking no louder than we are now. You're kind of leaving weird pauses for them to edit round. And it, and anytime there's a laugh, you just wait for it to stop before you come in with the next thing. So, and that's not like a blanket rule for, for all TV comedy, but it just felt so weird. And then when we watched it, they obviously just smashed all the cuts together. So you get that speed. But basically, I think the big thing about TV is you're surrendering your performance to an editor, which you're not doing on stage. You're much more in control of your own performance. Um, you're obviously not in control of what people think of your performance, but you, you in a comedy on stage in front of 900 people, you dictate the rhythm, you dictate the pace, you as a team work together. In TV, you deliver your line, and if you leave a 10 second pause before the next line, they can just cut around it, and it doesn't matter. And so you're kind of, you kind of then want to be in the room with the editor to be like, you should do it like this, and they're obviously, you obviously can't. Yeah. I think um, for a lot of people, when they watch the play that goes wrong or Peter Pan goes wrong, your heart's in your mouth because you're scared that you're going to die. Mm. Um, can you talk to us a bit about the health and safety in the set and how, how all that stuff works? Yes, so there's a, there's a guy uh, called David, I want to say David Leach, who is the head of UK Health and Safety Theatre and has oh. moved into the Duchess. Uh, so his office is <laughs> now above the yeah. play that goes wrong. Um, but basically, anytime you want to get something changed, uh, you need to get it signed off risk assist and during the early stages of our shows we change stuff on a daily basis um, so for example with bank robbery we previewed the show and about two or three nights before press night we cut the first 10 minutes of the show and rewrote a whole new scene and put that in uh, which was a nightmare for mainly the costume and set designer so they were just like excuse me we're like yeah we want a whole new scene and the costume guy was like right fine and they worked really hard and they got it done and it's what the show is now um, but yeah, in terms of health and safety, it's kind of strange. I think the older we get and the more stuff we do, the easier it becomes. Because we're much more malleable to the, the, the confines of people who are enforcing those rules. As well, when we were much younger, we were just a bit... We were never rude and we never were like, fuck you. But it was just a bit <laughs> like, no, we can just do this. Uh, but then obviously you're, you're not considering the, the feelings of somebody who goes, yeah, I'm sure you can. If you break your arm, it's on me. And so, and that's a difficult thing. So our, our risk assessment for a play that goes wrong is we've had a lot of injuries on it um, through various, for various different reasons. It's, it's huge. And have you ever had to stop the show? Yeah, we have, we've had a couple of show stops. Um, so I've, I've had surgery on both my shoulders. Um, so I dislocated my right shoulder twice during a show. Uh, and we had to stop. One time we didn't have to stop, we could carry on. But the other, the other time we had to stop. Um, and bring on the understudy and I to go to hospital. Um, but the shows themselves aren't dangerous. They're designed to look dangerous. It's actually the, the big stunts, the easy ones. Um, it's the small stuff. There's a bit of war on stage or you've got, to, you've got to walk into something. or you know If you pick up a knock on Tuesday night and you don't look after it, by Friday you're fucked. Like that knock's turned into like a massive lump and you just keep hitting it. So I think it's the small stuff that builds is the big problem. TV is much more like we had stuntmen and stuff. Okay. They, they wouldn't let us do a lot of the stuff. Um, and it's hard because you, you want to be able to do it yourself and you kind of go, well, how does you know, Tom Cruise do it or whatever? But they just have lots of money for insurance, uh, which, which we don't have. And so there is, there is definitely a, a kind of very dangerous health and safety aspect. I suppose as well sure. when you essentially passing on it to, uh, passing the play onto a new cast you kind of you can't say you have to do this you have to put your body exactly yeah and I think those those actors um, we, we tend to encourage people to see the show even before they audition um, and I think most actors are up for it uh, we you know we rarely get problems with people saying they don't want to do stuff and I think if people don't want to do stuff that's okay um, and we have to decide whether or not we can tailor those moments to those actors which is totally fine but also whether or not 
a moment in a show is, is essential. Um, can we really tailor it? Or, or do you have to get over yourself yeah. and be able to do it? Or do you need specialist training? Or what, what can we do? Whenever hardline and aggressive, it's never, you have to learn how to do this. You've got this much time to do this. You need to be able to do an X, Y, and Z if you want to perform in one of our shows. It's never like that. It's, it's always, great, we've got the right actor. What can't they do? And how can we help them do that? What is it like um, sort of creating these roles and then passing it on to someone else? Is it, is it kind of tough? Um, yeah, it used to be, definitely. Um, I think when we first handed over the play that goes wrong, because we've done it for such a long time, and it was the first kind of resounding success that the company had ever had, and, and it's still kind of doing that. We were at a lot of shows, we had a lot of opinions, um, wanted to be in all the auditions and yeah. stuff, so your kind of recall panel ended up being sort of 15, 20 people, and it's, it's crazy, it's far too intimidating for actors coming in to see all the writers and the directors and the producers and the person who originally played your part there and stuff like that. And I think that comes from a desire to control uh, the show because yeah. it's so important to you. I think now it's much easier. But I suppose there's been that many people that have taken some of these parts now because it's gone everywhere. Yeah, and I think this one will be true of everyone, but I think it, I think it would be, um, I think one would be lying to say that there's not an element of, of jealousy or, mm. or, um, or fear that somebody will just be better than you. Um, and that's, that's a scary thing to kind of first of all admit, but also to kind of say, to kind of watch a show and, and worry about whether or not the person's doing it better than you. But it's so subjective, yeah. so you never know really. And I think, um, I think I've made peace definitely years ago watching shows. I've seen so many people do it and go, ah, oh, yeah, that's much better. Like, and I've stolen stuff from other actors when yeah. I've gone back in to do stuff again. And it's just admitting, actually, that um, you know there are going to be some people who saw me do it five years ago and go, oh, you're still the best, yeah. blah, 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 and that makes me feel great. But there are also going to be people who have seen the third cast do it, and that would be the only person they've seen, to them, that person is the best. And actually, losing this idea of who's better and who's worse, and who performs better and who's worse, as long as the show works and the show is good, I think, I think once I deleted that very unhelpful part, it became so much easier to watch. And I think I have been upset in, in the past by shows that I think have gone in the wrong direction or changes have been made or performances aren't quite what we intended them to be. But I think you have, if you're going to surrender a show to another cast or a director or another writer or whatever, you, you have to concede that that's out of your control. And if you want to keep it in your control, then you have to stay in the show. And I don't want to perform the same show for it. No. <laughs> How do you come up with some of these physical elements? Because I imagine, like, okay, so comedy about the bank robbery. Mm. Um, my personal favourite scene is where you got the office at the back wall, yeah. degrees. How did that come about? Do you have stunt training as well? No, we probably should have. Um, oh, I was but, not expecting um, that answer. I was going to say, oh yeah, Rose Bruford, three years of stunt training. That scene you can't go in a black box rehearsal and go, right, this is what we're going to do today. So yeah, not. that, to be fair, the back wall was a bit of a leap of faith. Um, because we didn't get it, I think, until about three days before the first show. Um, and all of the rope stuff in Bank Robbery as well was because you, you get into the theatre and you, you meet the designer and the engineer who kind of builds those sort of things. And they have a, they have a script to go on, but ultimately the script is valuable. But usually in theatre the script is not valuable. But for us, we're just like, well, what changes do we need to make to make it, to make it work? Um, and it came from, there's this uh, Asian company who do this really funny, it's very silly. They dress all in black, head to toe, and they have these like models of uh, guys in like white suits and stuff playing table tennis. Um, and so the idea is that you can't see the guys dressed in black yeah. and they're puppeteering these things, but their faces are through the faces of the, ah, okay. the things they're puppeteering. And um, they uh, play table tennis with these with these puppets and then somebody picks up the table tennis table and flips it um, 90 degrees so it's kind of a bird's eye view yeah. as you're looking down the lens of the camera and what they do is they're still stood upright but they can flip the puppets to, to match yeah. the angle um, which is probably quite a hard thing to picture if you're listening to this <laughs> um, and uh, they carry on playing and Henry Shields and the writers thought what would that be like if it was on a massive scale basically if we did a whole scene like this um, and so they, they came up with this this mad scene and I'll be honest when I first read it I didn't like it I thought it was terrible 
and um, watched it in rehearsal and it was just Henry Lewis and, and Jono laying on the floor <laughs> and we sort of like sat in our chairs watching them lay on the floor and yeah. just exchange dialogue and I was just a bit like oh yeah I mean what is this it's nothing and you know the producers put money in they built the wall the boys got up there um, and like I say every time we went to the theatre to rehearse it uh, whilst we were rehearsing in a, in a separate room um, it, it wasn't ready it wasn't safe it couldn't do what we wanted to do the stuff wasn't secure properly and, and rightly so they wanted to make sure it was safe um, so the boys just climbed up got on their chair got on stuff and just see what they can do you just stand up and put some crash mats down and, and try your best and I think initially John wanted to do the whole thing without any wires but the problem was not that he couldn't do it I mean eight times a week you're definitely going to injure yourself but it wasn't that he couldn't do it, he's a strong guy, but it was more that in order to do it, you would just ruin the effect that yeah. they're trying to stand up, because you obviously can't stand perpendicular to a wall, like, unless your feet are strapped in in some way. So we, we, got, we built this, well, they, not we, but the, the team built this wire system that they could strap Jono in, and he just stood on the wall, and then they moved the wires around, and he moved himself around, and we... We sat and we watched it for like half an hour and he did it in sort of 10 minute sections and we just talked him through what we thought was funniest and actually after six weeks of previews he, he found more and more different jokes and other actors have come in and found more and more different things. Because for me it's just the moment where he pours the tea out of a coffee over. Yeah. It's just ridiculous but somehow wonderful because it's at 90 degrees to what you expect. Yeah and some of those things you just kind of, a lot of it, so we've been... Um, working on some, some new stuff recently and a lot of it is just getting in a room with the with the guys and they go great we've written the scripts uh, it's it's finished but it needs more jokes or we need to find cuts or there's a couple of bits we're not sure about or we think this is really funny but the narrative doesn't quite work or the narrative is really good but there aren't enough jokes and you literally just kind of go okay so what what can you do at 90 what can you do walking up a wall that's just easy and you just, you just shout, you just generate ideas. And I think the key to stuff like that and the key to creating a new show is to um, encourage failure. Because I think often it's, we're told that it's a bad thing. You don't want to fail, you want to succeed. And I think you, you see really 90% of the show, maybe, maybe 100% if you loved it, of the show works. So nine out of 10 jokes yeah. land. But probably nine out of 10 jokes in the rehearsal room fail and nine out of 10 jokes that we write don't work. And we just delete those and you, don't, you, you get to see the best version of it. And so actually, if you go in being very precious about your script, about your performance, about your jokes, about your direction, about whatever it is, and you're unwilling to change and unwilling to fail, you know, somebody gets up and says, Joe, I think you should try it like this and you should attack it like this. And actually, we're, you're being too aggressive. We need to you know, try and seduce him or whatever. And you try and find a new way of doing stuff we can watch it and go, no, that doesn't work. And it's not a personal comment on your performance. It's just for what we're trying to create, that doesn't work. But you can only do that with actors who are confident and writers and directors that are confident Imagine that to fail. You being such a close-knit group as well. Like, like, it does help. You're not afraid to tell each other that you think it's yeah. bad. Yeah. And we have a shorthand. And you sort of asked about TV earlier. I think some of the directors we've had on TV are, are incredibly patient because what will happen is we'll go off and someone will go, this bit isn't working, so you need to do this. And we'll have this weird, rushed conversation, and then by the end of it, everyone's on the same page. But the whole thing takes five to ten seconds. Director comes over and goes, sorry guys, what are we talking about? We go, oh, don't worry, we'll fix it. Yeah. And then he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then we go and film it, and it's completely changed. Yeah. And it is funnier, and it's better, and we like it. And the director's like, hang on, you've changed all this stuff, yeah. And, and the same is in theatre as well. So... And going back to your question earlier, you know, if I went into a, another company, you know, I, I can't go up to an actor and just be like, I think um, let's, I've got a joke, or like, let's try this, let's try this, I'm going to do this, and da 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 da. So the director came and went, what the fuck are you doing with my play? Like, you can't just change it. And so I think, I think that's, that has advice, it's advice yeah. to virtue, that kind of shorthand and that kind of friendship. But I think what I've personally gained from it now is I, I go into other environments and I've done workshops and I've worked with other groups and helped with other things. I am now, um, I want to say unafraid, but I worry that that makes me sound too like heroic. It's not like that. It's, 
but I think I am unafraid to just to, to fail now and to be shit and not in a way that's just like I don't give a fuck if I'm shit it's like it's to genuinely go let, let, let me just try something and if you don't like it I'll change it and that's scary because I think you hold on so tightly to what your performance is and you want everyone to like it and you want to get it right the first time and everyone thinks you're an amazing actor yeah. but actually I think the more directors that I speak to they're like yeah I just like actors that do stuff and then I can just tell them what I want and if they can't do it we'll find a way that everyone's yeah. happy because a director might ask me to do something and I go yeah okay great I'll think I'm doing it and they're like no that's not true not right do you have a favourite stunt or joke or play even of everything you've done just like a moment in the show where you're like this is my favourite but I can't wait to do this bit what for something that I do personally or something I get to watch or to or like, see personally. Um, so play wise I don't know it fluctuates all the time I think at the moment it's probably bank robbery yeah. is my favourite one because I play um Sam in that and that's a, it's, it's a big part naturally so it appeals to my ego uh, but also it's it's really fun um, I think what part do I like doing the most I think I really like um, in the there's an apartment scene where um, my character is hiding from another character uh, and I pr- dress up and pretend to be this woman's father mm-hmm. and try and trick him the guy that I'm hiding from into thinking that I'm um, I'm this this his girlfriend's father uh, and then she has to basically mine loads of answers to questions behind his back while I try and guess what she's saying and that bit to me is always fun it's the bit I look forward to and the bit I dread the most whenever I do that show because we found about three months in that you basically just have to empty the tank every time you do it. Mm. You have to, whatever energy you've got left in your body, you just have to pour into that scene. And if you're not completely fucked by the end of it, it's like you've not worked hard enough, basically. Which isn't true, because some actors do it really well and conserve themselves, but I found personally. So yeah, if that scene went well and you've emptied the tank, you're just like, fuck yeah, we all work together and we earn that. But if you empty the tank and it doesn't go well, you've just been like screaming for 10 minutes (laughs) and that happened to me a few times where I was just like fucking shouting and everyone was like what are you doing it's so unspecific and just like screaming I was like I don't know I just need a bit of energy you know it's Thursday afternoon and just like yeah that doesn't work and so you kind of those those bits I look forward to the most Um, in terms of like stunts and stuff uh, I used to have a sword fight and play that goes wrong I really look forward to that I used to have a, a really quick sequence of being smashed into a load of doors and stuff, which was which was really really fun, um, but yeah, I think it's the it's the small stuff, it's the knocking out the upper level with a play that goes wrong. And that's always really fun because that's just it's the easiest thing to do and it's guaranteed laugh. Yeah. You knock out a pole, the floor falls down, and everyone goes mental, and you're just like, that's a great feeling. I love that because as soon as you walk in and see that set, half of you is just like, that's gonna fall. Like mm. that, and that suspension, sort of suspense even. Um, waiting for that moment and it finally comes in it's yeah and we we worked meticulously through as well you know it was about four weeks into the show i spoke to the director and i said look there's a couple more points where i can hit the pole i think and not knock it out or i can dodge the pole um and he was just like and this was this is an example actually of, of something where we're lucky that we work together so often so i said to the guys before the show i said over the next couple of shows i'm just going to try and hit the pole a few more times or dodge the pole or try a few things where I walk into it and you know use my hand to make it sound like I've hit it and everyone was just like oh, okay great we'll just keep an eye out for it and then eventually we developed a few moments and we plotted about six moments here or four moments where it happens and everyone kind of we then had a chat the next day where we were like okay let's pick this one this one this one let's have you knock it here let's have you hit it here let's have you dodge it here let's have you knock it out here and then those are now written into the script and the new actors learn those those moments but none of those were in there before, and so that kind of stuff is really fun because you, you get to be collaborative and create a new moment. Also, it's not just a, sh- a scatter effect, of, it's very specific moments. Oh, you can't do it here because there's a joke happening over here. Oh, you can't do it here because we've just had this. Or you can't do it here, you can do it here. And it's just making sure that you craft everything with a purpose. And sometimes stuff's just in because it's funny. I love that there's such a science behind comedy, actually, because on the face of it, yeah. it could be well obviously that's easy it's just stuff going wrong but actually there's 
so meticulous in everything you do, which is like personally I find really interesting. What's good kind of. But um, so I've enjoyed. I think I've seen like behind the scenes, like Snapchat stories and things like that. And the timing of like the there's probably a technical word for them, but when you hit the two pieces of wood together, that's called a slapstick. Slapstick. Oh, yeah. that's great. That's <laughs> yeah. great. But just things like that that when you're sat in the audience, you've no idea all this stuff is happening behind, mm. like behind the set. But like, I just personally, I find it really interesting. So yeah, with the sounds and stuff, it was slightly different in America because we were um, in a much bigger theatre. We've, you just can't mic that stuff up. Yeah. It has to be a live sound, and if it comes out of a speaker, then you just kind of like it feels like it's comedy, and it's not. It, it shouldn't feel like that. It should there should just be a second where you go fuck did that actually happen, and then you remind yourself it's a it's a funny show, and of course yeah. everyone's okay. So yeah, that those slapsticks and stuff we we time meticulously, and when we went to America, all of those offstage sound effects are done by actors, but in Broadway they're all done by crew, and so a huge part of the show was just removed from our control and we spent in a 10 day tech obviously we didn't really need to do much but we probably spent about a week with the crew going into every single sound effect and being like it, ha- it has to be like now it has to be like you've missed it now yeah. and it, it was just one of those things where you know the bit where the ca- where my character shuts his arm in the door mm-hmm. that's even yeah. that's a, th- a thing that's fired with someone so everything has gone over the, when the girls have the fight, it's the difference between the headbutt is the slapstick, yeah. and the slap is two chopping boards slapped together, and so all of that kind of stuff is 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 built to, and we spend you know hours going over different sounds, what sounds right, and then you can never tell until an audience is in because everything sounds different once yeah. you've got five six hundred people in an auditorium. Do you have a career highlight so far? Yeah, do you know what? I've got loads. Um, we've been so lucky I think so going opening on Broadway was pretty mad um, and then going to the, the kind of after party that was crazy because the police shut down the street with your stage doors on oh and then wow. they escort you to wherever the party is so that was that pretty, was cool. Cool. pretty cool that's yeah. great yeah and those guys have guns so <laughs> very, very yeah, safe and um, yeah and so there's the kind of yeah that was really really cool the weird one actually was walking out to do Play That Goes Wrong on Broadway but not feeling nervous. Mm. It's because we'd done the show probably, I think by the time we finished Broadway, we'd done over a thousand performances of it over yeah. across many years. And I just knew, I was like, do you know what? Either this is, either I'm going to be shit or I'm not. And I'm just going to try to not be shit. And that was the kind of thing, I'm going to try my best. And I just knew that I knew it. And I think when, you, when you're with this team of people that you've known for such a long time, and you've worked together for such a long time, and you have the, the, the bond that is developed over such a long time, to stand backstage before you're about to go on, knowing that like whatever happens, right or wrong, you're all going to be there for each other. And it's going to be brilliant no matter what. Trusting in somebody else's ability more than your own. So like listening to my friends deliver jokes when I'm not on stage just is such a, an amazing feeling because you kind of go, <clears throat> you feel like you're kind of, you're, you're sort of, the way I describe it is you're kind of stood there and there's, there's audience of, you know, a thousand people in front of you <clears throat> all waiting and expecting something. And behind you is six or seven people, but you, but you know that the people behind you are giants and they're like, they're amazing and they're really funny and you know that you don't have to do anything you kind of go great I can just like wander around with these giants and they'll do all the hard work and they'll be really funny and we all kind of think that about each other and so I think it's that thing of of going yeah of waiting to go on and going do you know what I I know that the people I'm doing the show with are good so all I have to do is fit into that and that's an easy job you're never carrying anything you're just working together it's that thing you know when you stand in the circle hands and everyone leans yeah. out it's just that Trust. like yeah every day and that's really fun that's really really fun I'm sure you've been asked this question probably hundreds of times but so for example when I saw the play that goes wrong I think it was when it was on tour in Sheffield or somewhere we actually did see a real uh, sort of stage hand sort of fixing a door mm. what is the biggest thing or the most the funniest thing that's actually gone wrong for you during one of these goes wrong plays oh wow so many um <laughs> Yeah, loads of stuff goes wrong. When when actual stage men yeah. have to appear, it's so funny. Um, 
Yeah, it's when stuff kind of goes right. So like, yeah, when he's locked the door and the door's yeah. meant to come off and then it doesn't come off. That's really funny because I remember it happened to him. He looks, he's like, he's locked the door. And then he just looked at me and just started laughing. And I was like, fine. And then he managed to lift the door off. It was fine. But so we had this, uh, another study ages ago um, on the tour uh, who, the, and the other studies do have the kind of backstage characters and they, they come on. And at the top of Act 2, the curtain goes out to reveal us all putting the set yeah. back together, curtain goes in, curtain goes out, and everything's fine. This guy came on with, um, he decided to be caught in his act to reveal uh, eating uh, raspberries. So he had an entire planet of raspberries on stage. And he was eating, eating, eating. <coughs> curtain goes up, he gets caught. Curtain goes down, he goes to run off. And he trips over, genuinely trips over, spilling raspberries <gasps> across the entire stage. Stage management fucking flipped. <laughs> so raspberries went everywhere. He stood up, panicked, screamed, there isn't time, and ran off, <laughs> holding his, his empty punnet. And I didn't know any of this had happened because I was going, going off to do a quick change. And um, I heard on stage everyone's voice sounded funny. I was like, what the fuck's going on? And people were coming off in like fits, like laughing, <laughs> fits, of, fits of tears. And um, I was like, what? What's happened? And I'm trying to do a quick change. I was like, what's happened? And everyone literally couldn't speak and then just go straight back on and do the thing. And a couple of other people came up to me and were like, what's going on? What's going on? And I was like, I have no idea. Like, Hen and John keep laughing. Shields is laughing now. What the fuck's happened? So I don't know. I was the last one to come on and see what happened. And basically, the entire stage was covered in raspberries. <laughs> and um, there's a bit where Henry Shields' character, you know, lands, loads of us land on the floor all the time. So we had raspberries <laughs> all over our costume. And it's really, and the costume, the wardrobe department was just going mad because it's like, it's going to be a nightmare to wash out of like a white shirt. And, um, but the biggest thing was, was that the people off stage, like myself, that didn't know what was happening, it was then the reveal to the people on stage. So they were on stage, I would come through the door and I'd say my line, see the raspberries, <laughs> kind of look at everybody else. And Jono would just start laughing and he was just like, I said, are you okay after the show? And he went, it was just the constant reveal of people like doing acting, completely breaking character, looking at raspberries, looking back and just being trying to communicate what the fuck has happened without saying anything. And so, um, yeah, he was just like, and then there was two more people actually after me, so I wasn't last with two more people after me, and then I got that experience of it being revealed. And that, the second half is about 30, it's about 40 minutes long. I reckon we laughed for about, for about 25, 30 minutes. I don't know why you didn't keep it. <laughs> it's because it's just too, like, food on stage is just a fucking nightmare. <laughs> and it was you, just, do you think the audience were aware that it, this was not supposed to happen? I think the audience were aware that something had happened. Uh, but they didn't know what it yeah. was, yeah. and that's what kills the show. I think mm. it, if you if something funny happens on stage, somebody trips over a line, or and it's fine to kind of I mean it's it's never fine to corpse, but my whole character was was developed from corpsing because I couldn't stop laughing. But the that's okay if you if you make it a choice and take it to an extreme. But if you've got a whole bunch of people on stage laughing and the audience aren't in on the joke, it really kills it. Yeah. And so it's really important that if something does actually go wrong you can almost play with the wrong's harder because you don't want to break the reality of it. Yeah. But you, you almost have to just tell the audience what's happened. Yeah. And I did carry on sort of show. Yeah. And I think um, a rule that we, we made, because uh, it happened to me a couple of times in bank robbery where I sort of ad lib and do different things when like moustache falls off or like something breaks that shouldn't and stuff like that. And, Usually any ad lib you fit in will kind of make the audience laugh and then you think about what you should have said a, a day later. But the, the kind of general rule is, you, it's hard because you've got about half a second, like an actual split second, to decide whether the moment that you're about to create is better than the one you already have. Mm -hmm. And if the moment you're about to create is not, then don't do it. Mm. But also in that half second, you've got to think about what you're actually going to say as well. You know, you know come up saying witty or whatever. Mm. and that can die at that time it's just condensed because you're under so much pressure so it's a strange feeling when stuff goes wrong it's really annoying in the play that goes wrong when stuff goes wrong yeah. it's less annoying in bank robbery because you're just a bit like it's fine we'll just carry on for someone looking to enter the world of theatre or arts or creative whatever what kind of advice could you give from your experience 
Um, become truly, truly okay with failing. And I mean genuinely okay. Not just like go out and be yourself and all that bullshit. I don't mean that. I mean really, really, um, really try and fail. And don't take it personally if people have told you that you failed. You know, in your acting class, you have to get up and you have to do stuff and you want to be good. But everyone, you can't control what other people think of your performance. So as long as you go home every single day going, do you know what, I'm really happy with what I did. I'm really happy with how I performed. And it's not a case of fuck everyone else. It's not an aggressive thing. It's, it's just a thing about just finding a way to sit comfortably in, in, in failure and knowing that once you eliminate all things failure, you'll only be left with something that's successful. And finally, finally, mm. do you have anything to plug? Any social media? Any upcoming things? Uh, you can get us on at Mischief Comedy. Um, and uh, Bank Robbery is going on tour to uh, York pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can go on, just Google Comedy about Bank Robbery and it will come up. Um, thank you so much, Dave, for coming on the podcast um, and... Yeah, giving us your insight. It's really interesting. You're welcome. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you so much to Dave for giving us a glimpse into Mischief's world. Tickets are on sale now for their new show, Grown Up, so get your hands on those. If you enjoyed this episode, then good news! Yay! Yay! There's more! Next week, we're back with the phenomenal Lynn Gardner, arts journalist and theatre critic. If you like the podcast, then please give us a review and tell your friends and family where to find us. See you soon! Bye! Bye.